I had a friend this week email me about Fred Rogers. Whenever you're talking about the spirit of kindness, you can't help but think about Fred Rogers. What an amazing guy. I don't know if most of you realize Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. He had gone to seminary, got his degree, but instead of preaching in a church, he decided that he would preach through a, a preschool educational program on television. He first got into television in 1951, early days of television. He worked for four years for CBS, but then he, he left and went to PBS, a public broadcasting station, where he began to develop certain characters and puppets and a certain theme. It was finally in 1968 that he had pulled it all together and created a nationally syndicated show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It would go on for 33 years, almost a thousand shows, day after day, right into our living room with all of our children, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He wanted to proclaim a message to be able to say to children, I like you just the way you are. He wanted to be able to say, we need to be kind. He wanted them to learn important lessons. He was incredibly successful. Through the years, he was awarded 40, 40 honorary degrees. In the end, he was elected in the TV Hall of Fame. He won a Peabody. His sweater is in the Smithsonian. He passed away 11 years ago. He was only 74. He had had stomach cancer. It was a tremendous loss to children and to all of us. But if you go back to 1997, he was awarded a special Emmy for a Lifetime Achievement Award. And if you've ever seen his acceptance speech, it was incredibly powerful. That here you have this packed house, all of Hollywood's brightest, all these stars, and they call up this older Presbyterian minister, Mr. Rogers, to come onto the stage and to present him this Emmy Award. And I want to read you what he had to say. What a wonderful night in this neighborhood. There are so many people who blessed me and helped me get to this night. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. I'll watch the time. And he looked at his watch. At first there were giggles kind of across the audience like, is he serious? And then they realized he was. And immediately it all fell silent. It got silent and the, the camera panned the crowd and what you suddenly saw was people who now looked down and you could tell they were thinking and immediately tears started rolling down people's cheeks. Chins started quivering as people began to think about those who had blessed their lives and helped them to get to where they are. It was a powerful moment. After the 10 seconds, he said, Whoever you have been thinking about, how pleased they must feel to know the difference you feel they have made. To remember those who have blessed you. It was an amazing moment. What an incredible career. And he was asked later, 
why did you get into television? And Mr. Rogers said, because I hated it. But I felt that this fabulous instrument could be used to nurture those who listened and watched. Yeah, Mr. Rogers did not like what all was on TV. He thought it was harmful and hurtful to so many. He wanted to do something different in the face of the world. He wanted to be kind. And it touched our soul. And for 33 years, Mr. Rogers was so successful, but maybe what he learned was, it's fun to be nice. This morning, I want to continue the sermon series, It's Fun to Be Nice. Because what we have been saying is, we live in a world where there is so much rudeness, meanness, hardness of spirit. Can you imagine what Fred Rogers would think today about watching reality television shows? You listen to our sitcoms, the one-liners that are so rude and cutting. You listen to the political rhetoric. You wind up going to a football game, the things you see, what goes on in high schools, what goes on at work. No, it's all around us. And if we're not careful, it's easy to get sucked into that to where we become the critical one. We become the one-liners. We're the ones giving out the zingers. It's easy to be rude and become harsh in our culture. But we believe as a people of faith, there's a different response. That in the face of all this, you and I can choose to be kind. We can choose to be the people who bring a different spirit Because of our faith in Christ, you and I can choose to be kind in a world that seems to push that aside. And when we do that, we'll discover it's fun to be nice. That's exactly what happened in our scripture lesson this morning for a young lad. I love this story. You may remember that this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle that Jesus performs that is told in all four Gospels. All the miracles that Jesus performs, only one was told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's this one, the feeding of the 5,000. It obviously was something that really resonated in the early church, and the early church thought was significant. Jesus had come out to the Sea of Galilee. He was tired. He wanted to go up on the mountain alone and to pray and refresh his spirit. But people found out where he was, and so they started to hunt him down. They began to bring the sick. And when Jesus saw him, he had compassion. And it says he began to heal and to teach and to preach. And this went on for a while. And finally it was getting into the afternoon, and the disciples said, We've got to send the crowd away. It's going to become night. They have nothing to eat. And Jesus said, You feed them. And Philip spoke up and said, Feed them. It would take 200 denarii. 200 denarii would not even be enough. Now a denarii was the wage. One denarii was what a common laborer made in a day. So one denarii is one day's wages. It's like saying it's going to take more than half a year in order to face this need and it still isn't going to be enough. The need is enormous. But there was Andrew. 
there was a boy who'd come along. He was wanting to get near Jesus and the disciples, but afraid to speak up. He hears what's going on. He's not going to certainly say it to Jesus, but he's willing to say it to Andrew. I got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Andrew takes them and turns around and says, we got a lad here who's got five loaves of bread and two fish. But what are they among so many? And I think that's where you and I find ourselves. When you and I look around in this world and we see the, the rudeness and the harshness, when we see the struggles, we think, I'd like to do something, but what can I do? So little in the face of so much need. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's fascinating, though. One of the themes that Mr. Rogers wanted to teach children for 33 years was this. He said, the real issue in life is not how many blessings we have, but what we do with our blessings. Some people have many blessings and hoard them. Some have a few and give everything away. The issue in life is not how many blessings we have, but what we do with our blessings. That's what a young lad was about to discover. It's not how many loaves of bread and fish you have. It's what you do with them. And he would give them, and it would be enough for this incredible miracle. This morning, I want us to take time to look at this scripture, and I think there's four important things for us to see. First of all, you and I fail to be kind when we live out of a spirit of scarcity. If I feel like I don't have enough for me, then I don't share. If I don't feel like I'm okay, that things are good for me, then I don't be kind to other people. If I live in a spirit of scarcity, then I don't share. Be it ever to the credit of this lad, he came to Jesus and when he heard what was going on, he didn't think about the fact, I'm not going to have lunch now. I'm giving away my loaves of bread and fish. He was willing to give it all to Jesus. And Jesus took what he had and it says he gave thanks. You know, one of the things we talk about here at St. Luke's over and over is how important it is to live in a spirit of gratitude. You know, you can't say it enough. But get honest with yourself. Do you take time every day to list three, four things, how you've been blessed? Do you take time in your prayer to give God thanks for the blessings of your life? When you remember to pray and to give thanks, it helps you to live in a spirit of abundance rather than scarcity. And if you live in a spirit of abundance, then it's easy to be nice. This year, we've had mission trips down to Honduras and to Ulyanovsk, Russia. And you know, it's been so much fun to see the people in our family of faith who've gone, every one of them has come back just really on fire. Their life has been touched. They've been overwhelmed by the experience. And the reason? When you go to this Honduras area where we go and work with this orphanage, if you go to Ulyanovsk, Russia, what you see is how little these people have. And yet what you also see is the joy they have 
how grateful they are that we have come and how they're anxious to share with you whatever you have. And so when we go and we experience that, it rocks us back because then we know how much we have. But when we're living here, we feel a spirit of scarcity because you and I compare ourselves with everybody around us. We're comparing ourselves with everyone around us who has more, so it feels like scarcity. And we live where commercials tell us you never have enough. You never have enough. There's something you lack. You must have more. And then when we go on these kind of trips, something happens in your soul because you realize we have so much. And when you live out of a sense of gratitude, it's a sense of abundance. And then you want to share. It's because a small lad was willing to share what he had with Jesus that an incredible miracle would take place. Secondly, when you and I share a gift of kindness, it grows. A gift of kindness grows. It's a ripple effect. It's beyond ourselves. I I love this boy coming to Jesus and offering five loaves of bread and two fish. And we know this miracle happens. Now, One of two things happen, and you can decide what you like best. When he brings the bread and the fish to Jesus, it says Jesus gives thanks. There is gratitude. And then we know it's put into these 12 baskets, and the disciples go and begin to hand you some of the boy's bread. And it can either change in a molecular structure so that when I give bread away, now there is more bread. And I give you some fish, and now there is more fish. And as I give it away, it continues to replenish in a miraculous way so that through God's grace, we never run out of food and it feeds all the 5,000. Or other people say, no, what probably happened was people came out and they knew there was not a Walmart on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There was no stop and go or 7-Eleven. And so they brought with them their own loaf of bread and their own fish. But you know human nature. Why am I going to whip out my loaf of bread when I don't know if you remembered your loaf of bread? Because you may want some of mine. So we're all holding on to what we have, scarcity. And so it is they walk and they take this from the boy and they said, let me give you some of the bread. And then you think, I don't need that boy's bread. I got my own bread here and here's all I really need and why don't you share this with somebody else? And then I offer you some of his fish and you say, I don't need his, I I got some of my own fish. This will be enough for me. Share it with someone else. And the miracle is everybody begins to share what they have and all 5,000 people are fed. Now, whatever way you think this miracle happened, it's a miracle And the message of the miracle is that with God, there is enough. If we share, there's enough. There is abundance for all people to be taken care of and 12 baskets left over. That's why all gospel writers wanted to include this story because the message was so fundamental and significant 
if we share, there's enough for everybody. Enough with God to be even left over. There will be a ripple effect that grows. I don't know if you've been watching the baseball playoffs or not. I always enjoy them. I grew up in Houston, and of course I've always cheered for the Houston Astros. And uh, they've got a new manager this year. It's... uh, Uh, whose sister happens to be a member of our family of faith. And it's really been fun to watch the Houston Astros. They did far better than people expected, but we lost to Kansas City um, a round ago. But there's a fascinating story that came out of the the games there with Kansas City. A guy named Javier um, Pamonte. Javier is from another country. Been here for a number of years now. Played with the Astros for a number of years. And he is the bullpen catcher. He goes down to warm up the pitchers in the bullpen during the game when they're ready to come in. And what happened on this last game that they were playing there with uh, Kansas City, before the game he was found to be out on the field playing catch with some of the kids in the stands. Now, these were fans for the opposing team. But he's out there playing catch with them. Can you imagine what it would be like as a kid to be getting to play catch with a ball player out on the field? And so it was so cool. Well, then he went into the bullpen. And boy, did they heckle him. All the fans are hollering. You know how it happens at games. You know how it happens. Whether it's a little league game, whether it's a football game, a basketball game, the fans sit close on the edge and you scream at the coaches, at the players, at the referees, and somehow we think they do not hear. They do, and they are people with feelings. But oh, the things that fans say that are so mean. And we scream at these people like they're not people with feelings, and we rain down on them, and that's what they were doing to him. You get used to it. You're out there in all these games, the opposing stadiums. Well, the game was over. The Astros lost. Their season is over. And Javier did this interesting thing. He gets into his ball bag, all this equipment, And he has about 25 baseballs. And he starts throwing them up in the stands to all the kids up in the stands. And then he gets his shin guards and throws those up in the stands and his chest protector and his batting glove and everything he has in the bag, he throws it up in the stands to these kids. I mean, it's a throw up there. And they're going crazy getting all these things. But adults are seeing it too and they're taking pictures, posting it on social media. And they started saying, this was amazing. He came to the inn and he clapped for them and said, congratulations. I hope you do well in the World Series. And he picked up his empty bag and threw it over his shoulder and went to the locker room. And people again posting and saying, this man has got it. He remembers it's just a game. And what he did was so kind. I will root for him in the future and I'm going to do things different myself. An act of kindness grows. There is a ripple effect beyond who you are and it literally is how we as the people of faith help to change the world. An act of kindness grows. It's not how many blessings you have. It's what you do with the ones that you have that truly makes the difference. Third, 
I think what we learn in the story is you have to be present physically, emotionally, to feel the pain and the joy of those around you, to see the need, so you choose to be kind. You see this boy come around. He wants to be near Jesus and the disciples, but he isn't going to have the courage to speak to Jesus. But he's there listening. And what he hears is this issue of the need for food. Now, you can be assured this young boy would not have been thinking about all these hungry adults. That would not have entered his mind. But when he's near Jesus, you think about those things. His eyes were open to see the need. And so he decided to care. It's why you and I make the decision to come to worship. So we grow near to Christ. It opens our eyes to see the needs. It's why we do daily devotionals. Can't encourage you enough. Are you doing your daily devotionals every day to be near Christ because it opens your eyes to see what's going on around you at work, in your neighborhood, at school, to see the needs where you can be kind. You've got to be present. If you're focused only on yourself, you're not present. You don't see. Some of you will remember the name Julian Lennon. Julian Lennon was the oldest son of John Lennon in the Beatles. It turned out that he is now in his 50s. He's done very well as a musician, even himself. It was several years ago, though, that he was being interviewed. And the reporter came to him and said, Tell us, what is it like to have, to have had John Lennon as your father? And he said, John Lennon's not my father. Well, yes. Yes, John Lennon's your father. No. No, John Lennon is not my father. You can tell the reporter was flustered. And he said, we know John Lennon was your father. And he said, John and Cynthia may have conceived me, but John Lennon is not my father. He left when I was five years old. He left my mother to go live with Yoko Ono. I never saw him after that. Oh, I saw him in the news. I saw him in the papers. I saw him on record covers, but I didn't see him. No, John Lennon is not my father. The reporter was taken back and he said, Well, I know that when all this was going on, Paul McCartney wrote a song for you to try to help you. It was the song, Hey Jude. Originally, it was entitled, Hey Jules. But they decided it flowed better with, Hey Jude. And he wrote this to say, It's a sad song and how to make it better they wanted to try to encourage you and, and they felt that maybe it would help you. And Julian said, I, I listened to that song when I was a child. I didn't understand it. I listened to it. It made no sense to me. Yes, they told me it was written for me. I have listened to it and listened to it as the years have gone by. I still do not understand it. What I do understand is that my mother remarried Roberto Bassanini. What I do know is he was there for breakfast. What I do know was he drove me to school. What I do know, he was there to pick me up. What I do know was he was there at the important events in my life. What I do know 
was He was there to encourage me when I was so down. No, what I know is that He is my Father. And the reporter said, And the sad song? It's because I had Him as my Father to encourage me and to love me. I've been able to take a sad song and make it a better song. I started this sermon asking you to think about the people who have blessed you, who have helped you to get to where you are. But we also need to think, who are we now blessing? Who are you there for? You've got to be present physically, emotionally, to be able to see the need, the hurt, the joy. Who are you there for? If you're not present with Christ, then we miss it. We don't see. And fourth, when you and I choose to be kind, to share our blessings, you're going to find a joy that is like no other. It is the joy that comes from sharing your, your blessings, from being kind. It's a special kind of joy. When you share your blessings, you find a joy that comes from being kind. Can you imagine this boy? I mean, what a neat day. Here's this kid, comes with his mom and dad, gets away and runs off. I mean, like all children do, you, you get out and kind of run around. He wants to get up and be near Jesus and the disciples. I mean, they're obviously the important people. He overhears what's going on. And he offers his five loaves of bread and two fish. And Andrew gives it to Jesus. And now they feed 5,000 people. Can't you see when the day is over and everybody's going to head home and he gets back with his mom and dad? You know, there you are. We've been looking for you. Yeah, Mom, it's been a pretty good day. Pretty good day. I mean, today, I helped Jesus feed 5,000 people. I mean, how cool is that? The rest of your life, you're able to say, Yep, Jesus, and I fed 5,000. And it's true. He did. The miracle wouldn't have happened without Him. What a joy He must feel for the rest of of his life because he had something and chose to share he saw the need and how amazing it was in the way that life was blessed now what he discovered is what you and I discover it's fun to be nice I know some of you may have heard the story about Bob and, and Ellen Thompson they lived up in live in Bellevue, Michigan. It was several years ago now that Bob decided it was time to retire. He was in his late 60s. It had turned out that 40 years before, when he was 27 years old, um, he had decided to start an asphalt company. Had $3,500. His wife was a teacher and they lived on her salary. In the basement of the house, there he started this company and how are we going to make asphalt? But he soon realized we need to do more than make asphalt. We need to build roads. 
And so he started a road-building company and an asphalt-making company, and it went really well for the next 40 years. I mean, that's tough, tough work. That's hard work. And they worked and sacrificed and gave it their all, and they grew this company to where they had more than 500 employees. But he finally decided to sell the business to a company from Ireland, and he sold it for $422 million, which is not a bad return on your money. If you start with 3500 and you sell it for $422 million. But when he sold the business, now he and his wife had to decide, what are we going to do with our time, and what are we going to do with all the money? When you have $422 million, there's a lot of options. And so they talked about it, and they called their employees together. They called them together and said, we need to let you know we've sold the business. The good news is nobody's going to lose their job. We're going to stay on for the next couple of years and run the business as we take it through a time of transition. Um, so no one's going to lose their job. But the other piece of good news is we want to share the good times. So this Sunday you can go by the office and pick up your bonus check. And everybody was excited. I mean, we get something. And they had no idea what, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars. I mean, maybe a thousand dollars. They had no idea what to expect. What they didn't know was that, that Bob and Ellen had decided to set aside $122 million to give away to their 550 employees. And what they decided to do was, if you were a new employee, an hourly employee, then you basically got one year of wages. But if you'd been with the company five years, ten years, twenty years, you had been there through the long haul, then you got one million, two million, or more. And these people showed up at their office on Sunday morning and picked up their check and opened up this bonus check to share the good times and they just fell over. Somebody put the comma in the wrong place. The, the computer must have run too many zeros here. It didn't make sense. But the other thing Bob did was he took another $25 million to pay the taxes on all the money he gave away. Because he said, if I gave you a million, I want you to get a million. So I'll pay the taxes on it. That day, here were all these people who received this incredible gift that changed their world. You need to know, Bob and Helen were interesting people. I mean, they were living in the same house for 37 years. And mainly all they focused on was work and family. When you looked at their office, what it had was pictures of three children and five grandkids. And a poem, No Man is an Island. He was interviewed and they asked Bob, why did you do this? And he said, we wanted to share the good times. We wanted to go out a winner. We wanted to do the right thing. And what Bob and Ellen knew is the same thing that Fred Rogers knew. The same thing that a young lad with five loaves of bread and two fish knew. It's the same thing that you and I know. It's fun to be nice. It's in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.